Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hello, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Eustace Thompson with us, who is currently Chair of the Department of Learning and Teaching at Hofstra University. He also served as a Graduate Director of the Certification of Advanced Studies Program in Educational Leadership. He received his BA from the City College of New York, his MS from Long Island University, his MA and PhD from New York University. He was formerly the deputy superintendent of the Uniondale Public Schools, located on Long Island, New York. Prior to his faculty appointment at Hofstra, he had 37 years of experience in urban and suburban public school settings and has held the positions of deputy superintendent for curriculum and instruction, high school principal, and middle school principal. He is certified in the areas of walkthrough supervision and curriculum deep alignment. In addition to curriculum issues, Dr. Thompson's research interests include instructional leadership in urban and suburban areas and structural barriers to African-American students' academic success. He recently developed doctoral courses for educational leadership in the areas of superintendency and English language learners. When asked about his leadership statement, Dr. Thompson replied, as I reflect on my career, I am satisfied that my legacy will be my impact on the minds and hearts of the students I have been blessed to serve. I have struggled with the weight of leadership in all of my educational positions and roles. The responsibility of providing meaning and hope to others cannot be taken lightly. So welcome, Dr. Thompson. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership, and we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am indeed. Okay, great. So our first question is, what inspired you to choose educational leadership as a career path? Well, I always enjoyed education. Both my parents had instilled in their three children the uh, need for education and also when graduating from college, when I was sort of looking for a place uh, in this world, I felt that education would be an appropriate way to uh, begin my career. How would you describe your leadership style? I would say I'm broadly situational. I'm looking at individuals and the needs of organizations and then making decisions about what's best for individuals. Specifically in the, in, in the area of education, you know, blending the needs of students, our product, with the, uh, with the needs and aspirations of, of the uh, workers. Okay. So um, do you mind if I interject? Because I, I see your leadership style because as, as my mentor, as one of my mentors, <laughs> um, one of the things that I value about what you do is how you listen to, I guess, situations, right? Yes. You listen to everything and then you ponder and then you wisely 
you know, either coach or give advice or ask questions, which speaks to why we're on this podcast and why I wanted you right. to be on this well, podcast. Well, decision-making and problem-solving are sort of aspects of, of administration, and style is how people see you, I think. Internally, I think that I see myself as a, uh, as a supporter, a helper of individuals, a, of a person who, once they take on the responsibilities for an organization, that I, I am bound to that organization and the goals of the organization. And what type of leader are you inspired by and why? Well, I'm inspired by individuals who um, confronted major issues and were able to give solace and hope. Individuals who really amp up their leadership style in ways that, you know, are really very, very impressive. I mean, I, uh, so situationally, you know, you're given an opportunity to demonstrate um, your abilities. So which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I guess one of the quotes that always resonated with me would be, for many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. So for me, all of us have the potential for leadership. However, not all of us are going to have the opportunity to demonstrate it in ways that, going to, that will always affect a lot of people. However, uh, bringing out or helping individuals understand their leadership potential uh, becomes very important for me and for me as an educator, critical, uh, especially when dealing with my coworkers, my colleagues, and students, of course, who I serve. So um, what does it mean to have a good team, and how do you build one? First of all, mm -hmm. uh, to talk about team, one understands that one cannot do anything alone, and I think that's critical. I also uh, am very, very keen on understanding what it means to build a good team. And I look for individuals to work with me that are smarter than I am, uh, that have really special well, skills. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Uh, that have really special skills that uh, enhance uh, the goals and aspirations of the, of the organization and also complement my leadership. Uh, abilities. Mm -hmm. How does one build one? One has to sort of listen to individuals to sort of understand where they're coming from, what their goals and aspirations are, and whether they can actually uh, work well with you. Good teams don't miraculously emerge. They're built. They take time. I think there are some really talented people that cannot really work well with you. And that doesn't mean they're less talented, or it doesn't mean that you're not a good team leader. It just means that the team has not come together in a way that's good for the organization. So it takes patience. It takes patience and understanding, and there's a give and take. Now tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life. One of the challenges that I experienced was when I was a principal of a middle school, and I love this middle school. I was there for 14 years, Turtle Hook Middle School. And there were two changes. First, there was a predominantly blue-collar white community shifting to a somewhat middle-class black community. And the t faculty was concerned and somewhat confused about how they were going to approach this new population of students. 
and my role was to help support that transition. Less for the faculty, because theoretically they're professionals and they certainly should be able to handle these types of things, but certainly for the youngsters who were coming into the system. But I knew that I had to work through a faculty that was, was nervous. I had to acclimate existing parents, also new parents, and help them meld into strong groups that could support their children. And that taught me a great deal about myself, about issues of racism, issues of ethnicity, starting with my own biases and concerns. How, how do I convey and alter an environment, a culture that's conducive to all children? So I thought that was a critical challenge for me, and it, helped, it certainly supported my growth as an administrator, that I became stronger because of it. No, that's interesting that one needs to face your own biases because mm -hmm. I think the hardest person to lead is yourself, right? Well, oh, I would say so, yes. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it takes reflection and all that. And I'm sure that in this experience, once you've dealt with whatever you had to deal with in yourself, you were able to help the teachers or the administrators or, or other people that probably had the same. I did, and but I also found that one needed the support of a team as you discuss these issues and, and move through this process. The other piece of it was also a revisiting the research literature. It's really very, very important in understanding definitions, role responsibilities, and I think that was helpful too. So I think there's a balance one has to have. That. Yeah, you're the research guy. I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so tell us one of, about one of your greatest successes and how it shaped you and the lives of those around you. Uh, going back to the transition of schools mm -hmm. and of communities, I think that I was very, very uh, effective. The perception of, of the schools that I worked with was that they were, quote, smart schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, students who attended felt that they were smart and that they had a responsibility for being smart. And that becomes really critical for me because, I mean, schools have served many, many purposes, but I think that the most important purpose is for students to feel that that experience has been supportive of their being really intelligent individuals and expressing that in a variety of ways. That was probably my greatest success. And, the, and of course, that, that success is constantly sort of reinforced for me as I walk through a community and people remember me and say, oh yes, you were the principal of Turtle Hook. I remember you. We were really something. <laughs> and uh, that, that's really oh, very pleasing. That's great. That um, is. Unfortunately, a smile on your face, right? Uh, well, as I get older, I mean, I see, you know, that I have grandparents <laughs> introducing me to grandchildren. So, I mean, that's... that's it's a, a bittersweet that, moment. Oh, it's, a, it's lovely, but it's a, it tells a lot about it. How one's aging in this in this world. What would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? And I know you've had a lot of experience here. I have had some experience <laughs> with that. Uh, my best advice is to, as part of the interview process, do your research about the uh, organization, about the community that you're possibly entering into. Learn as much as possible about them. And then as you go through the interview process, listen very intently about the questions that are being asked because those are the types of interests that that community has and expectations that they have for you typically. 
So therefore, you want to make sure that you're aligned to those interests uh, and that those interests are aligned to what you're capable of providing for that school or, or the district and the community. At that particular point in time, a decision has to be made as to whether this is an environment that you want to be in. We make those mistakes because we are very anxious for a new position and we have not really done our due diligence identifying what are, what are the needs of a community. I think it really behooves you to be very selective. And, and that's pretty interesting because you know my, my story. I want to speak to to that because there are situations where um, people do do their homework and um, people seek advice, right? And still, they're in a situation that is difficult, right? So in that case, how would you coach them? How would you mentor them to through the process? I think the issue has to do with expectations. One of the things that I do is to help them realize and recognize their potential. I hope to help them understand why they entered the field in the first place. And then we can make decisions about whether there's a problem perhaps with their expectations for the organization. Maybe the, expect, the organization could never meet their expectations. Maybe their expectations are too great. They also have to, I think, understand the, the culture of the organization. Does that culture feed them and support them? Very often it's not. If it's an autocratic organization and you're a democratic type mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. you're not going to do well in that organization. However, others will who are looking for that very, very tight organizational structure or make a decision to work with that and learn as much as they can. I do believe that in even in the poorest of situations that one can learn a great deal about oneself and about what not to do when they embark on their next position. I think you hit the nail on the head because <laughs> uh, that's exactly what happened. Sure. You know, in my situation, you would ask me the questions through the really tough times. I think we, we spoke every day. Yes, we did. I recall <laughs> that. Yes. And you were so gracious and so patient with me as we went through even my emotions and my expectations. Mm. And, and you talked me through, as a great coach does, mm. um, asking the questions and helping me to realize where my responsibilities were and, right. and where my expectations were. Well, when, when you're a talented leader, which you are, I will say that. Uh, you, you're, uh, I'll give you 50 bucks later. Uh, okay, you got it. <laughs> but um, I, re- I recall you being very, very concerned with the progress of the organization. You felt that they weren't moving quickly enough. You felt that they were making some very, very poor decisions. And the question for you was, how does one ethically... Mm-hmm. helped support this organization. And they weren't doing well because they weren't meeting their goals. You were absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. The question is whether you could internally, you could be that change agent, or externally, which would, whether, whether you would be uh, have greater impact. The issue that came up is whether the organization had any desire to change. Right. You came to the conclusion, and, and I understood your <laughs> conclusion, that this organization didn't exist to meet the organizational goals of children. That was something that you could not tolerate. And 
you right. basically left. Which leads us to this. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so let's move to the next question. Many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean, and what are you learning now? I, first of all, I think all of us are lifelong learners in one way or we another. We should be. The question is whether we're active or passive of lifelong right, learners. I mean, the nature of the organism is to be adaptable or, you'd, or die. If we don't adapt, we're obviously not going to exist professionally. So um, I think of myself as an active lifelong learner. In other words, looking at new situations, looking at new policies as they impact on us from the externally. Uh, how does one embrace them? How does one internalize them? How does one modify them for itself as well as for the organization in order to be more productive. And I, an example of that would be APPR. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not actively involved with that new policy, it has had enormous impact, the whole testing fiasco, the inappropriateness perhaps of that rollout of Common Core and how we assess youngsters. So I felt the need to understand that those processes and also um, that curriculum so that I was able to incorporate into my work here at the university. You trigger some experiences when you talk about lifelong learners. It's, it's being intentional, right, mm-hmm. in, in, um, in what you learn and how you learn. Um, sometimes it hits you upside your head, like you said. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. And so tell us what you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities that you have. I think that uh, a mindset as you approach work becomes critical. I'm not exactly a list person, but I do try to identify goals for the day, and I try to prioritize some of those goals. By doing that, I help myself to mentally be prepared that's extremely important. Now, do you usually do that the night before, or the mo- do you get up early and do that? And well, as a younger, with your, had, with your breakfast, and my and my memory was better. I I I would tend to do that in the morning. But now, uh, what I do is that before I leave the office, I basically go over my calendar for the next day, put my materials together, and also. Uh, make some decisions about how I'm going to approach various issues. Um, So many educational leaders put in long hours. What advice would you give them about maintaining balance in their lives? I think that's really very hard. I've experienced a great deal of type A individuals who just cannot leave the office until the last item is processed. And I don't know how really to help those individuals to achieve balance. What I would say to them is to really very early on understand that processes, certainly in education, are continuous. And when we're dealing with families and, and children and faculty, there are issues that are going to be recurring and that you're going to have to revisit. You have to provide a sort of a balance uh, for yourself in terms of putting those things sort of in a way for the time being and then concentrating on things that feed you as an individual. Happy individuals do have a balance and really recognize the need to support not only their workers but also their, uh, their families. 
And so I think that understanding the needs of one's children, one's spouses, one's friends, and uh, supporting them as well is part of the calendar that one should always have. Right, and <laughs> the, that you the, can't fix everything, yeah, right? <laughs> you can never fix everything. <laughs> That's the issue that you speak about where people – um, can be type A and, and want to cross all their T's, dot all yeah, their I don't I's know every how, yeah. single day. And, and that's it's, it's not possible. And they become frustrated. They become disenchanted, uh, which is a symptom of burnout. And in that situation, a coach or mentor is so important because oftentimes they yeah. get stuck and then it's a cycle that continues. Well, we're, we're using the term the critical friend cons- construct. Uh, and the critical friend is a uh, mentor coach but more than that it's also somebody who appreciates you that really likes you that is your friend but also can approach areas and be very critical i think that's important that we have those individuals who say not working for you (laughs) (laughs) but you you have to also be open to receive that well that's why we use the term friend yeah because you know you're forgiving of your friends yeah the most you have to be (laughs) otherwise they wouldn't be your friends (laughs) it's much needed okay so our last question is if you can go back in time what advice would you give the younger you about leadership first of all um I think that I would pay more attention to my career path. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I was a teacher, I was happy as a teacher, but then I wanted to be an administrator, and I was certainly happy as an administrator. Um, I had no idea that one of the end goals would be at the university level. Looking at what the normal requirements would be, I would have probably pursued the doctorate earlier on in my career, because, but I never really thought about is that. Is that a hint? Is that what you're it's looking a, at? Yes, a big hint. <laughs> is that what you're looking <laughs> yes, at? Yes, I am. Like I am indeed. <laughs> uh, I think that those are the types of mm-hmm. milestones that you you know you you sort of have to understand that you're going to need in the future. And I think that the worst thing that could happen is really to look back and say, "Oh, I thought about it. and I should have done it at that." When when my time. mentor told me to or yeah, exactly. suggested that I should, yeah, like you know, like. Even- made me take a test that I didn't want to take, you know, <laughs> things of all, things of that sort. Also, like, looking at your next position, mm-hmm. understanding that nothing is going to stay the same and please you 10 years from now. Right, you always want to grow. So, yes, so you want to grow, and you also want to look to your next position. So, for me, that might be uh, areas of consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so There's a charter school movement out there that intrigues me Mm -hmm. uh, that I would definitely, uh, that I'm working now on, actually. Who knew? That's right. Had it it not been for this interview, who knew? (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Who knew? So, uh, you know, you're always looking for your next area of interest. uh, You're pursuing it. uh, You're writing about it. You're researching it. Very recently, I've been really sort of reading a lot of research articles on a charter school movement mm-hmm. and some of the effects of that, because I think that that's a big movement if public schools do not mm-hmm. produce the type of quality kids that we want. I don't think that necessarily uh, charter schools are the panacea, but it's certainly something that we need to address and look at and evaluate to see whether they are doing, they have the potential for 
for improving student outcomes. You were immersed in charter schools, and so you have a really clear understanding. So you can mentor me as I move through that Well, process. you know, every charter school is different, and um, there are pros and cons, right, in every organization. Exactly. Anyway, Eustace, I, want, I really want to thank you for adding um, value, not just to me, but to our listeners. I'd be delighted to revisit some of our okay. these issues in the future okay. and also to find out how you're progressing in your role as, as a leader you're always a coach always <laughs> a coach <laughs> thank you so much Eustace okay thank okay. you I appreciate it bye 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 Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to our website at masterleadership.org to get show notes for this episode and to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of our exceptional educational leadership coaches that are featured on this podcast. Until next time. Bye.